After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, we're back at Mind Rolling, Mind Rolling Podcast. I'm Raghu Marcus. I'm David Silver. Hi. 2014. Uh, although you, we put up a, you know, a podcast earlier. Uh, yeah. But uh, we had done that in 2013 yeah. because Dave get, comes down here and we do a bunch of them. And Yeah. You so know, this is the first real one of 2014. Real. Not real. real. Like, you know, um, it's, it's being done almost when you're listening to it. Really? Well, in other words, it'll be on next week, so they'll, you know, we can. No, it's going to be on this week. Now we're yeah, right. yeah, we're back in our you know. Anyhow, who cares? Nobody wants. Who to know cares? About well, that. what we're trying to explain to you is that we try and back up and have a few, because it's hard to do it otherwise, and we've not been able to do that because Ragu is like the busiest guy on the East Coast, oh, apart yeah. from I don't know Chris Christie. He's like, oh, oh my God. I'm How sorry, you... I didn't. Mean, I, I That's just, not I, nice, it, really. It, no, no, of course, no. You're the opposite. It's the yin yang. <laughs> You're the absolute pure, honest, and perfect administrator, and and and, and that may not be true, but you know, uh, in not, terms of him, <laughs> it's just whatever he is. Uh, most people are way ahead of because. Well, I feel sorry for him. You just you just got to get his karma together. So, what have we got? Well, what have you got for us this week, Raga? I'm like I'm like not sure. Listen to this. Okay. Workers of the world. Remember that thing? Workers of the World. What is it, like a Marx Workers thing? Workers of the World Unite. It was the yeah. Soviet thing. The Soviet, right. Well, this is, okay. This is Workers of the World Faint. <laughs> You'll never guess what this, I just saw this, so I had to, I mean, it's frivolous, but what can I do? Okay, okay. two years ago, right? Just over two years ago, at the Unfull Garments Factory in Kampong Sbu Province in Cambodia, near Phnom Penh, uh, a young worker named Chantul and 250 of her colleagues collapsed in a collective spell of fainting. 250 people at one time went down. Okay? Can, okay. This is... Verified I'm, news. This is not. Listen, I, I got. I'm gonna, they had to be hospitalized. The production line was shut down. Two days later, the factory was back up, and the mass fainting struck again. What? This, this is some. Yeah, this is some. Like you won't believe this. A worker started barking commands in a language that sounded like Chinese, and claiming to speak in the name of an ancestral spirit. 
demanded offerings of raw chicken. Today, 2000, well, this is two years ago, so 2012, this is going on, okay? Raw chicken. None were forthcoming, and more workers fell down. Peace and production resumed only after factory owners staged an elaborate ceremony offering up copious amounts of food, cigarettes, and Coca-Cola to the spirit. This is the onion. You're reading from the onion. No, New York Times. New York Times. My. Okay, no bullshit. Well, what what was the problem? I mean, how how do you faint together? I mean, okay. You want to hear the answer or not? Okay, you ready? Uh, okay, so what's going on here is, and psychologists have, have studied this whole thing. They have medical anthropologists over there, psychologists are over there. And what's happening is that um, people are um, being possessed by local guardian spirits, and they're known as Nik Ta in Cambodia, okay? And, um, and they're really uptight because uh, these spirits get very uptight because these factories, you know, they take over places where that's where they hang. And they don't, you know, so they and, and they feel like they're not getting any respect whatsoever. So uh, um, and and it's, you know, although it's Buddhist there. Right. Yeah. But many of the uh, ancient um, pagan you know, religions or whatever are going on. And of course, spirits are everywhere. It's all real, but they got really uptight. And apparently they've joined forces to help the labor movement in Uh Cambodia. Okay? That's all I got to say about that. I mean, can you believe this? Well, I mean, I I see demons in my dreams and everything. And I think there are demons. Uh, But this is a very bizarre thing. Because you're saying, not that we're going to talk about this much longer, but these people believe so inherently in these demons that what? What exactly is going on here? What is between them and I no, don't get they, it. They, they get possessed and they and yeah, right. And they have such power that these all these people were like fainting away at the same time because so, they all believe in these spirits. So in the astral level, let's say, these demons are like congregated and they get together and decide to inhabit these hundred workers. I think it's just one, 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 one spirit. Okay. Ooh, demon, they're spirits. I mean, spirit. demon, you know, has a negative connotation. Yeah, maybe. A demon is a weird word. Why yeah. should we use it? No, right? they're just spirit. They're spirit, earth spirit. This, you know, that kind of thing. But they're Nature. working with the people. They're working with the people here. They are. They're, they're entering. Like they're working. Oh. Yeah, they're really, and the people are listening. And so, uh, eventually, anyhow, the the wage the wages have gone up for them, and. They apparently, you know, are stopped cutting down the tree that's just outside the factory that, you know, stuff like that, that spirits are interested in. Can you tell us about your dreams, though? Not much, but I mean, I think there are demons in there because, you know, all kinds of demons. And they usually take the form of something very ordinary. It's not like demons, like, you know, wrathful beings, but they're just people who are acting in a very, you know... A very horrible way, and that's my dreams are people acting in a horrible way for a short time. Mm-hmm. But since I read a book about a hundred years ago called Lucid Dreams, 
I slightly have the ability now to step in as Dave 2014 and say, out, go away. And, and I love you. You're a great demon. Spirit, get thee hence. You know, that's what lucid dreaming is. is a, go in there and control these deep unconscious archetypal maybe spirits that come into you. You know, you enter. Sharda mm -hmm. told me yesterday, listen to this, that after you die, there's a part Who? of your brain, Sharda Davy, oh. Sharda Cable, said that after you die, there's an amount of DMT in the brain that stays active for quite a while. And the effect is as of dreaming. You're dead. You've passed. But maybe the first thing you see is what you would be dreaming about via this DMT amount, a tiny amount in the, in the cortex. So I think that's very interesting information. Yeah, where does it come from, though? I mean, she is read this it. verified information? She, she read what it. I, I just read to you is verified, New York Times verified. She, she's a very exacting person <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she was reading from something. Uh -huh. but, okay. uh, that's interesting, know, yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, anyway, so um, what's next? That was No, ready. I want to tell you something. I mean, okay. I asked you, okay. uh, do you want, I will tell you about, uh, because you're talking about dreams and demons, uh, I'll tell you about a dream I had. I was in India. I don't know if I ever told you this. But you're getting so old now that you forget easily, so it's not a problem for me. I can keep retelling and telling these stories. However old I am, you are close, <laughs> to, that, close to that age. So I would discourage these uh, pejorative comments because you'll be there soon, yeah. in, about a, in about a month. No, no way. <laughs> Um, so I was up in the, uh, this is when I first went to India, and I was up in the foothills of the Himalayas. We had gone to do a meditation uh, course, a Buddhist meditation, Vipassana, just a few of us, uh, including Ram Das and Krishna Das. Um, and uh, it was an incredible place uh, that we were doing this. Uh, we ended up at uh, where Gandhi had lived in this ashram, like, right in front of the, you know, 28, 9,000-foot peaks that were on the horizon there on the border of Tibet and India. And it was just a spectacular place, and what a place to meditate. Anyhow, Maharaji had sent us up there to do that. Uh, so we took so we took over this, uh, we had a house, and we lived there for a while, but then we took over this ashram, and everybody was living in rooms next to each other on two floors, and about, you know, I don't know, 12, 15 people. And uh, and to my right, a woman was uh, was right next to me, and then to my left, I was on the end room. So I had this dream that, uh, and it was it could have been like you know, had I looked, it, it was like a tarot card dream. Have you ever, you've done tarot cards? I know what they are, but I never had them in a dream or anything remotely like that. Go on, please. Yeah, well, they have all of this really mystical kind of symbolism. Y you know, each card, uh, you know, it's all ar arcane magic stuff. And uh, so there was, uh, I suddenly was on uh, one bank above a river, a, s a small river, and on the other bank I looked across and there was a, a sinister-looking man with uh, a white and a black dog. And I instantly knew that my life was in danger. Ah. So I 
I gathered up all of my power and to zap them. It was just like, you know, some kind of crazy Marvel comic thing. And and I did that and um and I did kill them. And it took a lot of fierce energy to do it. As I did it in waking state, I let out this incredible moan <laughs> that was like something out of a bad horror movie, okay? The woman next to me, young woman, because we were all in our twenties, she, I, I heard her as I, the mo- as it came out of me, and I was aware on both levels, the dream and the other, and this plane, and she levitated off her bed. I could hear her ran to the door. Holy shit! What's wrong with him? And she <laughs> came out of her door, and then never came in. She said, "Never mind. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near there." And she never yeah. came in, and I woke up. Of course, I woke up as that was happening. And, you know, so uh, it, was a, it was a really intense dream that I'll never forget that's like all these years ago. The and best dreams are the ones, are the ones you don't forget. Yeah, well, that, it was... you know, you yeah. forget them very quickly. Actually. And I think it was just, uh, you know, I, a, a lot of inner work had been going on. Obviously, I had been with Maharaji, and so I feel like, you know, whatever, you know, what are demons, just whatever... Um, um, bullshit that is still in you that needs to get out of you. Um, you know, some of that happens through dreams, and that's uh, you know that's what I believe happened. I had a dream once that really points this out. I'm telling you, it's a long time ago, probably 15 years ago. But I was I remember being depressed somewhat during the day before the dream, just vaguely depressed. And then when I w- fell asleep, I found myself in a really rather frightening, sleazy Mexican bar <laughs> in, in Tijuana or somewhere like that, which I've never been to. And I had the same form of depression. And by now I was actually s- somewhat freaked by the type of person that was in this bar. Uh, people holding weapons that I could see. Hmm. And it was all very, and it was also kind of sepia, but kind of not, not nice, it felt weird. And I remember in the dream asking God to help me. God help me, what am I here? And immediately, as of nowhere, at the bar, the sitting bar, I was at a, you know, at a table, but at the bar where people were sitting, appeared a rather uh, small but hefty guy with a, a small cowboy hat on and jeans and a T-shirt who was glowing like a meteor. He was just glowing. And I, I, didn't, I couldn't believe it. Everything else just faded, and I was drawn towards him, and I went to him, and I said, who are you? And he said... I'm here to make you happy. And he just touched me, and I felt like a you know, stardust. It was like the wizard. It was unbelievable. He touched me in the dream, and it was so powerful that when I woke up, I knew he was a brujo. I knew that before I woke up. He was some kind of shaman, you know, mm. who just appeared to me in a dream. But he looked real. I could see the wrinkles on his face. He was an actual individual. When I woke up, I felt great. I mean, I re- I'm not kidding. I'm not being, you know, right. not rewriting yes. history. Yes. I just felt fantastic. It was like I'd been touched by a wand. And- it was beautiful, and I, I never saw him again, but dreams can be really redemptive and incredibly healing. Yeah. And, and you can pray for nice dreams, you know, if you really want to. I wouldn't go that far. Well, I, I, sometimes just before I go to sleep, I say, could I have a nice dream? I can't imagine you saying that. You're lying. It's terrible. Um, here, I have... Uh, it's, it's true, I am. I have some more news for you. <laughs> this is going to really make you light up okay 
Okay, there's a, this is also from the uh, New York Times. Um, so there's been some reports lately that are really alarming people. In okay, uh, here is the, the, the news. The news about... Uh, it, it takes place in retirement communities and assisted living facilities and nursing homes. This is the... Just oh. think this is the location it's of just it. Just stop. <laughs> Do we have to? Can we? Oh, uh, this is great. Uh, You might imagine quiet reading, crossword puzzles, bingo, maybe some shuffleboard. Think again. Think about sex. Unsafe sex is rampant through retirement homes more than uh, 16 to 24 year olds. Okay? Because you get to that point, you figure, what do you got to lose? Nothing. No problem. (laughs) That's so wrong. It is. It's the numbers, the STT, STD numbers, um, they trend in the 20 to 24-year-old age group. Wow. Can you believe that? Well, it, I can, actually. I can because to be in, a, in, a, in a, you know, one of those places is, a, is not always wonderful, let's put it euphemistically. And therefore, if there's someone who you just sort of feel you can get it on with, Hey, baby. They're saying these retirement communities uh, and assistive living are becoming like college campuses, right? This is an an exaggeration. Yeah, have you? I mean, I don't think this writer, uh, what retirement home have you gone to? I've been in quite a few of them in the last few years, right, with my parents. It's the Rock And nothing like that could ever happen. Retirement home in Bermuda. It must be something in Hollywood, whatever. It's absolute garbage. Not um, but uh, it's terrible, isn't it? At the same time. No, it. I think it's kind of delightful. Okay, so. Um, All right. So I needed to report that, and I'm very uh, happy. You notice the way this podcast is going. And, <laughs> well, it's the beginning of the year. Yeah, you know we want I mean? to have some. We want to we want, rela- relax. We yeah. want to relax. Yeah. Last year was very, very uh, serious and a little dark. Uh, for, well, yeah, it was. So, it, yeah. Um, this yeah. one's good. This one's good. The first um, you know, three yeah. weeks. Of, I, I Horrible like. cold and snow that's, from that's the beginning a, of the year onward into January. That's called the weather. That's called God. That's called nature. Yeah. That's called winter. You know, babies, Americans, both Canadians and Americans, are big babies because they want warm weather all the time. They don't understand that when you look at the snow, you're seeing the purest manifestation of the whitest aura imaginable in the physical universe. I saw it this morning. I was walking around looking at the snow going, ah, it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Oh, good. Positive now, attitude. I have one. I'm a positive guy. Yeah. <laughs> right now. All right. I have one uh, one more thing that I... This is very important. Um, and... Uh, I think you, of all people, really need to oh, uh, God. listen to this and take it to heart, okay? And and the title of this uh, particular little thing I found, um, Loneliness is Deadly. Oh, that's so wrong. Deadly. And social <laughs> isolation kills more people than obesity does, and it's just as stigmatized. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's probably. Have you true. been stigmatized? You I'm do not, not leave. I'm not. I'm the least you, bit lonely. Will you stay have, in your apartment? Yeah, but legions, day after of, legions of people communicate with me and touch me Ooh. occasionally. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. 
Um, well, I don't want to. I mean, I, I look. He's right about loneliness. I, we've all been lonely. I don't happen to be lonely at this point in my life. But when you are, it's like it's a huge weight upon your shoulders and your heart, and it seems to be hard to meditate out of it. Or well, the, you know, they say things here that you know really. I mean, seriously, are that it's it is a serious health risk. And uh, here we go back to elderly people who should go to those homes that this other guy was talking about if they're lonely. Uh, elderly people in social, social isolation concluded that those without adequate, in, adequate interaction were twice as likely to die prematurely. Okay. Makes sense. It makes sense to me. Although in another way, it doesn't. Because if, if you're kind of alone, you're never nagged. The thing I hate most in life, <laughs> apart from like real bad things like war and cancer, uh, you know, nagging comes third. In it's my third. Life. So I, yeah, right. So if anybody nags me, I immediately leave them, and or they leave me because I'm so upset by it. But seriously, to be alone sometimes is the greatest thing in the world, and I recommend it to those that aren't bummed by it. But I guess what he's saying, right, which seems rather obvious to me, that if you're alone and unhappy and lonely and constantly saying things, you know, like Tony Soprano's mother in The Sopranos, you know, uh, really angry and bitter at the age of 80 and sitting alone and blaming her whole family and freaking out. It's not untypical. No. That's the kind of loneliness that's, you know, I, I, we got to have people go and be with those people. Well, even, even more complex is that so, social isolation impairs immune function and boosts inflammation, which leads to arthritis, type, t, type 2 diabetes, heart disease. Wow. Loneliness is breaking our hearts, but as a culture, we rarely talk about it. Breaking our hearts. You know, that's, uh, I think, you know, we've all met. That That's really what, what he's talking about or what I take from this is that that kind of isolation actually breaks people's hearts and uh, uh, okay, causes no, more damage than, uh, yeah, than any kind of physical yeah. ailment could ever do. I think that's probably a very astute observation because, you know, stress does one thing through one's life, okay? And it's a different kind of stress to be lonely because you, you, you're preoccupied with it and not sometimes able to release those anxieties and also feelings of bitterness towards people because you are alone and the, all of those things. So, yes, they would probably increase the chance of being more stressed, not being able to respond yeah. to illness. No, or which, I mean, it's all obvious stuff. But it what, is. But the, it, what really interested me here is stuff that we've been talking about, and it goes back to the Internet and and he says all of our internet interactions aren't helping and maybe making loneliness worse. A recent study of Facebook users found that the amount of time you spend on the social network is inversely related to how happy you feel throughout the day. Okay, let me just say something here. There was a report that was more recent than that that I saw four days ago on MSNBC, which said that that had been highly disputed. And in fact, that people were not more alienated but that Facebook and the like was actually making people communicate more and then sometimes actually see each other and, and be friends. So this, you know, this conflict, in the, in the, even in the stat world, the poll world, you know, they're, they're saying they're not sure about this, that it's not necessarily alienating. And I'm, I'm not sure about it either. I don't know. I guess I don't, haven't done any real thought about it, but I find that it has actually connected me with a lot of things I wasn't connected with. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true, and it's, uh, and it's totally positive, but I think it goes... We've talked about how actually not uh, physically uh, engaging with people, that there's, you know, there's way more that comes off in an interaction when there's 
Skype, even just Skype is a huge difference, you know. Yeah. Ter- you know, that's a whole other level up. But certainly being in physical proximity makes a huge difference. Oh. Uh, that, that uh, I, you know, if you don't have it and you think you're being fulfilled by virtue of the, you know, 800 Facebook friends you have, I'm not sure about that. No, but that's different from, say, a person who's a parent of a grown adult child that's got a family. The family lives in, you know, Baltimore, and the parent lives in, I don't know, Seattle. And would before the ability to, say, have a telephone, let's go that far back, 100 years, you know, that would have just been total isolation and just letters coming very late from your relatives. And then the telephone came, and then now we've got this. In that situation, it can't be anything but ameliorating, in my opinion. Because there's, you know, there's a person in her maybe early 80s or something, and her daughter's in her 40s or 50s and has got children of her own and maybe grandchildren. You know, there's a lot of distance. Yeah, no, of course that is. So so it's good for those people. The big worry is whether teens become this alien form, this spore amongst us that is just texting and Facebooking and tweeting all the time. And that's the big fear. And it's, it's, it's largely warrantless, I think. But it's, we got to watch it, though. Yeah. We got to, you know, we got to watch it. I, yeah. I think. I th- not- so here's where he goes with this this whole thing. This, um, yeah. this is probably the core of it all. Good. Well, people can go. You know, you can be with a lot of people, and you can be lonely, basically, right? You can be in a room full of people. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, so and you can feel isolated. And yeah. the bottom line is, and and when you talk, you know, at at whatever hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. Uh, when there wasn't this uh, instant ability to connect with anybody, um, you had a couple of close people that you trusted and trusted you. And, you know, that level of trust that you can have with just a couple of other humans. Um, And, you know, it can be a spouse, obviously. Yeah. Uh, But if you have that level of trust of uh, where there's the tiniest... Um, percentage in that trust of whatever we're capable of in any one moment of unconditional love. So whatever it is that that trust you have with someone supersedes any um, um, any radical coming uh, apart of of that relationship. Hopefully, given that life is impermanent and things change. But yeah, no, I mean, not, you're uh, you're not I, alone. You're not alone. I'm not alone. We're lucky, though. What about the people who are, uh, you know, either young people looking for a way to live or old people who've lived in a, a, those two poles, say they're both alone, you know, because they haven't found someone to be with or the people they've been with have disappointed them so, so, you know, severely that they're put off, you know, but they're still lonely. How good is it to say to them, well, then you should use that. You can see that time as a gift and learn to practice, meditate, or run, or do something. Because you're alone, you might as well take advantage. Because when you're married and with children, forget just meditating when you want to, or just going for a run when you want to. Because there are kids, there are dogs, there are mortgages, there are bills, or whatever. But when you're 22, you shouldn't necessarily have all those things. Uh, but I think... I, th- I think it's good to tell people to see it as a kind of a gift, without sounding like you know, a, an imbecile. What's but it? Saying, a, the gift of being alone... When you're feeling uh-huh. lonely, and it's when you're feeling lonely is when, at least in the Buddhist canon, it's that moment to see as the equal of feeling terrific. When you're feeling pain, same as pleasure, it will pass. 
So when you're lonely, take advantage of it and see it. Try and look at it, see it, be mindful of it, mm. and, and hopefully transcend it. But when you're 85 years old and you haven't had any of those trainings, what can other people do to help a lonely person? I think it's a real question, actually. You know? I guess what I'm thinking, too, is that uh, I agree with you completely that you've got to make friends with being alone uh, earlier in your life than later. And, yeah. and, you know, and that's a matter of, of, of fulfillment through work, through, um, you know, family, whatever it may be. And, as you say, through a path that can help you, you know, just get balanced day to day so you're not tossed about. So, but I think it's also important uh, that someone who's just, you know, coming into awareness of, of of life and what to do and how to, you know, how to navigate everything and how to be a good person. Um, I think it's important to cultivate a couple of, and not, I don't mean partners, because that's fraught with romantic uh, excitement, shall we say, but just friends and, you know, and, and cultivating that and cultivating a way to have trust is a great, great, um, I think that's a practice uh, that, uh, um, it's it's something that actually comes natural to many many people and not so natural to other people, and um, I think it's it's it is definitely takes a lot of courage because there's always potentially pain involved, emotional pain, when you are not receiving what you're supposedly expecting from another person in whichever way. So, but I do think that that cultivation is important, and it's important, and you got to. You know, the suffering, as you said, there's, this is endemic, as Buddha said. So we do need to warm up to that as well and find ways uh, to navigate suffering, which we are all going to, we do get, and very regularly. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're at that stage, if you're at that stage that you talk about, Raghav, being young, and, you know, it, the thing is that people always tell you, oh, go out and do this, do that. Before you go out and meet people, find out what really makes you happy, what really, really gets to you, you know, what you like. And it could be music. You know, I'm not talking about anything exalted. Or it could be, it could be that you've always been attracted to some kind of chanting. You know, so you sort of find out which chant, which kirtan to go to. If it's not a kirtan, maybe you love classical music. But I do really think that that search can take a while within yourself and then aim for that and when you aim for that then you don't end up wasting your life with people who are not in the slightest bit interested in anything that you're interested in and the reason i bring this up is that someone said to me last night last night that uh, she you know couldn't hang out with guys who weren't spiritually oriented by this stage in her life she's not young and that um you know it was hard for her to talk about this but she did talk about the fact that she didn't like that part of it. But by this time in her life, she had to think that the person had some devotional relationship with the universe, had to have a, a faith and a compassion, bodhicitta, you know, or couldn't be with them. So conversely, when you're really young, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, a lot of it is sexual activity. It was with me, for God's sake, and I don't think people have changed that much. You're really looking for someone who you can really, you know, sleep with. Um, that's fine and everything, but it's a weird starter for deepness, for depth, if that's all it is. So I don't want to sound like a, you know, like a prude here. I'm not. Go for it. 
but it is important to put some thought into what captivates you. And if what captivates you is a practice, all the better. Because you can, every town in the world, in America, by the way, you can find a yoga class, you can find a, a place where people congregate for some reason uh, to celebrate their life and their vision, their intuition, if you like. Then if you go there, you stand a chance of not being lonely, even if you don't find a sexual partner. You'll, you'll find friends, as Raghu just said. And I think I agree, I, we were joking around before. Without a few friends, it's very hard in this society uh, because it's not organically constructed. There aren't multiple generations living with you. Grandparents, aunts, children, we're all living apart from each other. So we need to replace that with, with, with someone who, uh, I, I totally agree with your word, trust. You may not like everything about them, but you totally trust them. Those are real friends. We know that, right? Absolutely. That's my that's my rep. Do you want to move on to something by Sharon Salzberg? Okay, but I wanted to say something. Oh, I'm sorry. You were looking. I can see you on the Skype, and you were just looking like, okay, let's do something else. No, no. You know what I was looking for, actually? I <clears throat> There's a quote from Jimi Hendrix from one of his songs, and I was just trying quickly to find the song, but I'm not that quick anymore, on... Uh, uh, iTunes. Uh, it's called. Uh, I I don't know the name. It's, uh, maybe you know the name. Loneliness is such a drag. It's, no, I I don't know that. Oh really? I don't oh, even know okay. the line. Yeah, that is the line. I, I don't know the name of the song, and I'll never forget hearing that.
Well, that really says it, doesn't it? Loneliness is a drag. With all the words that we just said, it's a drag to be lonely. Yeah. But then again, it's also a drag to give up and say, okay, I'm lonely, I'm going to be miserable, I'm just going to, you know, take pharmaceutical drugs and watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's the answer. Pharmaceutical drugs. Did you, uh, I, okay, this is a news day, all right? Yeah. Did you read in the Times about uh, this, it was over the weekend, this young guy who had an online pharmaceutical sales business, but you can get illicit drugs as well as just pharmaceuticals. And and they busted this guy, and he was involved in international uh, conspiracies and murder. I mean, it was the most... But he what he did was he blew apart one whole pr internet premise uh, where he, be, he was actually... He just hooked people up. He didn't sell anything. He hooked uh -huh. up... I mean, it was like, you know, uh, the most amazing thing. I can't remember the guy's name. How did he make? How did he make the money? He got a percentage. Okay. He just got. It was like, uh, you know, eBay <laughs> for pharmaceutical or something. But it was basically bad karma because it was yeah. dark, dark stuff. Yeah, there. no, there was dark, even though he had a whole very big time libertarian kind of, uh, you know, view. Uh, yeah. It was absolutely. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, well, you sent me this article, Raghu, and it's from the uh, Mind and Life Institute. And it's a, a little thing she wrote called The Anxiety of Happiness. And um, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. She starts off with a quote from the poet Robert Frost, kind of depressing quote, which is, His life is a pursuit of a pursuit forever. It is the future that creates his present. All is an interminable chain of longing. So basically, what mm, wow. Sharon is talking about is how to get you know around that. And uh, you know, she uh, talks about as being craving, the craving thing that mm. we crave things we don't have, and we we look for happiness, but we're really looking for pleasure. And then when it goes away, you know, the whole story, which is that the story of that. And then she gets to this paragraph. She says, "There is an anxiety in happiness." that is solely based on the experience of pleasure, as nice as it is, because along with that dependence comes a need for the pleasure not to change. Hmm. 
we've likely experienced the weariness of going from object to object, from experience to experience, needing more and more intensity, not feeling we have enough stimulation right now to feel alive, and that we must find it somewhere, you know, like the Wolf of Wall Street. You know, you've got to keep craving it and finding it, power, money, sex, whatever. This is the addictive spiral, she says. Not being mindful enough to connect strongly to what is happening now and trying to avoid the dissatisfaction that is inevitably provoked by focusing on that more craving. Mm. And then she, she goes on to talk about how we come out of it. And, and as you, you would expect, it is through a, a version of mindfulness. That, and it's amazing, you know, we think that we're all beyond that sometimes when we've done a lot of practice in our lives. And then something happens to alert you to the fact that you still crave things. So it's not like you stop craving, it's just you manage it much better when you've understood that it is just simply that craving to freeze pleasure in place and never to have pain. Mm. And, and, of, and of course, that's not happening. We seem to have noticed that over the last... So Sharon is... Um, she says we can establish a relationship with our own dissatisfaction so that when it appears, we can look at it in a healthier way rather than trying to avoid it or cover it up. We can remember to appreciate what is here, what we have, and remind ourselves that everything inevitably changes. Hmm. So she's basically saying if you face up to it, uh, you know, just like facing up to loneliness, which is a drag, and so is pain, is a drag. No one can tell me that pain isn't a drag. You can't enjoy pain. But Sharon is one of those great teachers who's teaching us to become mindful that this, will, this too will pass. And the not to let it grip you, grip you like a drug, like a, a, a demon, but to just look it in the eye and say, I've got it, what can I do now? Mm. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is hard to say sometimes to people who've got really painful diseases and everything. But there's no question in my mind that people who've absorbed some of this information from Buddhists and from other teachers seem to be able to handle illness better, uh, not just generally, not always, but they have a tack on it, you know? They have like a, a perspective created by years and years of practicing mindfulness mm. and well, not, I, be, you know, not being obliterated by suffering. Yeah. Well, yeah. our best example of, uh, you know, between you and I, is of, uh, or for us rather, is Ramdas, who had that, uh, who almost died and had a terrible stroke. He's and the best example. I, you could, I mean, you know, to be paralyzed, to be, let's put it this way, let's not go back into all that, but if you challenged him physically as he is and to continue to teach and with such a beautiful and incredible attitude that just radiates out to everybody who knows him or sees him, no bullshit, it's there, is an achievement that it ranks with one of the most amazing phenomena I've ever encountered anywhere. It's just amazing to me that he can be who he is. And I try to think of myself in a wheelchair and I mm. get freaked out just thinking about it, you know? And, and so, yeah, he's a great boy. Does he teach on many levels, Raghu? I mean, it's, that's one level, isn't it? Which is just... You know what happened once though? This is terrible to admit on air. Oh, I, you know. God. But well, I'm you going to. <laughs> I was going, uh, we were somewhere, uh, and I was, uh, we were going from one house to another, to another house, and I had, um, I was pushing the wheelchair that Ramdas was in, so it was just he and I, well, somebody was walking ahead, whatever, 
And then, so I went to go to the house, and I don't know, I decided to take a shortcut and went through uh, through the garden, and there was a path and everything, but uh, I must have, uh, you know, my <laughs> driving wasn't so good. I so see. It, I actually, it uh, hit uh, onto a rut right next, so one of the <laughs> wheels went off, and we went over. Oh! <laughs> so he was really pissed what is wrong with you do you want to be in here i was like no i can just see it oh that's awful Roger. yeah that's terrible i'm so sorry i felt so bad i'm still this is you know four years later um uh, listen you know we've been uh, rambling and pontificating what else have we been doing bad in this podcast lots of nothing rustling paper Yep. Been, I've been oh. rustling paper. You're driving oh. you crazy. But we haven't said one thing to people to <laughs> to help oh, continue this. This is a new oh. year for us, and oh. we really, um, you okay. know, we're we're needing that support more than ever now. As we're, you know, uh, well, first of all, we want to thank uh, several people who've made really generous donations. We want to thank everybody who's made a donation of any kind. Because people do are doing that, and we love that, and it's it's very kind of you, really. Uh, the other way you can help us is by buying things on Amazon through our Amazon portal on MindRollingPodcast.com website. So go to it, and you'll see on the top there's a thing that says Amazon portal, and anything that you buy, we get a, a small percentage, and it, it it gives us some sustenance. However, uh, I've been looking at the figures. And, you know, we, we, we're sort of like the same every month. So just if you'd be mindful of it, just if you want to buy, you know, a new ironing board or a copy of Ramakrishna's uh, autobiography, um, just go to Amazon. And particularly go to Amazon for our friends like Sharon Salzberg and Lama Suryadas and Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield and Ram Das and, and many others. But they're all there. So you might as well. Got to bookmark it, though. I think that's a key, the bookmarking, because when it's bookmarked and, you know, because I'm the same way. Every I I go to Amazon and I need to know that it's right up on my bookmark because I can't go to mindrollingpodcast.com to find, you know, the link. I need to have bookmarked. Please bookmark the link, everybody. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, we we hope to. Uh, really build from where we've been in the last, I mean, we, we were a year older, a year older. We were a year old uh, last November or something like that, right? Yeah. So we're yeah. just, it's really, we're just going into the new year, especially with the beginning here in the middle of January 2014. So, yeah, we want to, uh, It's we have great, great uh, uh, support that's been building. And so it's it's a nice feeling when we can feel, you know, people's because uh, we're getting a lot of interaction and from what david's doing online with the blog and so on and so forth uh it's we want to continue to build right dave what else can we do yeah, well, we can buy t-shirts too I, yeah, we still have buy, we need to get t-shirts. more though we we probably need to put out a new let's think of a new um who do you tell us out there what would you like should we come up with something yeah, right dave's picture on the on the front or uh, no Please. Uh, you want, I mean, you want if you if you just think there's something we could make that you would a lot of people would want and it wouldn't cost a fortune. I mean, we we can't give you, you know like a 3D printing set, but if <laughs> if it, you know if it were rather than just T-shirts and mugs, it was also I don't know plates, 
no mirrors. plates plates you know, plates that's okay. ridiculous no but we've thought about a uh, a kit a meditation kit uh you know, <laughs> plates okay i'm, I'm so right, go to home shopping you'd be good there yeah you're gonna be on home shopping no we're, we're gonna come up with a uh how a daily balance life kit or some crazy thing. are we really yeah well, yeah, if you I want to we'll do it, because we have friends who who yeah. give the best meditation practices. We have friends who write the best mindfulness books. We have friends who have the best malas. I mean, we can put that together and make it a package for people. So anyhow. Okay, uh, so let's make this vow. This podcast you are listening to is number 54, which is halfway to number 108. So let's say the next 54 through to the very special number 108 that we see the fruition of this begging by us <laughs> and it, you know we can put we can actually um you know start to be uh, solid we're pretty solid though we're doing good i thought um, you were going to ask for 54 dollars uh for the year if, of, from everybody yeah that's it i was it was in the you back were? of my <laughs> no of course not but that's a very good idea send us 54 bucks if you can't send us you know five or buy you'd have to buy like you know, fifty uh, fifty thousand dollars worth of Amazon goods or yeah, something. Yeah, you right? just have to do that. But you know, we're we don't like doing this because it feels kind of awkward, obviously. But we've been told by people who know more than us about this podcasting genre that you have to do this, otherwise it's it's very difficult to keep them up. So that's why we're going to stop doing that right now. So do you have another little gem to throw at us? Yeah, this is the end. <laughs> <laughs> We've come to the end. This is the end, my friend. Okay. Um, and, and Per in Sweden, if you're listening, thank you for listening to all the podcasts and thank you for your letters, and we really appreciate them. Ah, yeah, we got an international um, communal situation here, don't we? Yeah, we have people in Bulgaria and, and South Africa and Australia and New Zealand, oh, Brazil, Germany, um, certainly Canada and the United States. Yeah. Lots and of people. England as well, I know. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, this is a podcast. Is uh, Boy, it's becoming a thing, too, and I think it's a great uh, meet. Anyhow, we, we've got to stop going on the way we've been going on. Yeah. Oh, and so we're going to be uh, way more focused. We're just unfocused right now, folks. That's all there is to it. But we yeah. we love you all, and, uh, and we'll see you next week, Dave. Yeah, good night. Good night. Well, good afternoon. Go to mindrollingpodcast.com and link up with everything, and we'll see you later.